about what God has for us today. We are in week number 24 of our study in the book of Mark. And so I want to welcome you into that study. It's called Dirt Roads. Uh, if you've been here um, throughout the series, you know where we've been. Um, there's a lot going on up here, by the way. I'm not sure up on these. These can come all the way off. Um, but we have been in there for 24 weeks, and we've, we have traveled with Jesus down these dirt roads um, and we are, we are at a crux, we're at a, a, a center point now um, here in Mark chapter 8 in our 24th week. The title of today's message is simply this, a clear confession of faith. A clear confession of faith. As we have journeyed down the dirt road with Jesus, we've been in several cities, we've been in Capernaum, we've been in Nazareth, we've been to Tyre and Sidon, we've been to Decapolis, the Ten Cities area. And Jesus has done many things. He's, he has made the blind to see, he's made the lame to walk, he has, uh, he has healed uh, young people, he's healed old people, he's healed men, he's healed ladies, he's done them all uh, in a lot of ways similar, but then in each way somewhat unique. We've seen Jesus in those miracles basically displaying his glory of who he is in the lives of individual people. And these next two Sundays, today's and, and, and next Sunday, we will highlight this text that is widely accepted as the crux of the Gospel of Mark, uh, the, the, the most important text. From this point forward, from these two weeks forward, the story will, will, will be a little bit different than the story has been up to this point. There will be fewer miracles, even though there will be a couple of miracles, there'll be fewer. There will be more difficult situations. There will be more difficult teachings. We will find ourselves more uncomfortable over the next few weeks in the book of Mark than we found ourselves clapping about him feeding 5,000 people. We'll find ourselves much more uncomfortable than clapping again two chapters later when he fed 4,000 people. We'll find ourselves more uncomfortable. Jesus is going to deal with uh, things like marriage and divorce. Jesus is going to deal with some difficult things. Things that, to be honest with you, if I was not committed to just preaching the Bible, I would probably skim through those. I might skip those things and not preach about them if I was just preaching the topics that I wanted to preach. But we will preach God's word. And so that's just a little preview, not to scare you off from any of those things. Hey, listen, we need God's word to speak into it, right? We need God's word. This is, our final, our, 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 this is the, the final authority for our faith and practice. So we need to know what this book says. But today is, we're not heading there today. We're not heading there at all. This text gets us down that road towards Jesus preparing his disciples for what was to come. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, please turn to your Bibles there. If you don't have your Bible, feel free to open up an app on your phone or iPad or whatever. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Mark chapter 8. Verse 27 says this. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Notice, when he asked the question, who do men say that I am, they answered. 
They were completely ready to tell Jesus what other people thought of him. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And of course, my man, Peter. Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. To me, some ironic verses in scripture, that one being one of them. Jesus has spent the last several months healing people and and casting out demons and doing all these uh, miracles and over and over again would tell people, don't, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. It's like, man, it's getting out. You know, people are, people are figuring it out. But this text is a very important text today, and I want to give it its credence. Can we pray together and then jump right in? Heavenly Father, speak through your word. I pray that today be very clear and very concise. God, I pray that we would um, take heed this morning to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. On the heels of Jesus bringing physical sight to the blind or bringing physical healing to people, at the conclusion of last week's text, he healed another blind man. We now see Jesus turning his focus to the spiritual blindness of the world and the culture around him and then also even to the spiritual blindness possibly of his closest disciples. And we know this. We know the the rest of the story, we know that one of the 12 winds up being a false follower of Jesus. We find out that one of the 12 uh, is a, is a, a devil. Uh, we find out that, that Judas is that. And so Jesus is now turning his focus, per se, from the physical to the spiritual. And we spoke about that a little bit last week in our sermon. But I want us to see this today. Number one in our outline, a cultural question. A cultural question. Question, verse 27 says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. On the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? What does the culture say? What, do pe- what are people saying? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. Who do they say Jesus is? Jesus asked the question to his disciples, What does the culture? What is the current climate? What do, what do the, the, the they, right? What, what do they say? I love that they, right? I don't know if you're, you're like me. You've had people say, well, they say that you shouldn't do this. And I'm like, who are they? Like, if you can identify who they are, then I might listen, I might listen to you. Um, it's like, you know, when, when you're um, having your first child, by the way, congratulations, Joey and Maddie. Uh, she is expecting, and we're, we're excited for you guys. But when you're having your first child, and, and you hear people say, well, they say you should do this, or they say you shouldn't do this. I used to always tell Sarah, just ask, before you, before you say anything else, who are they? I'd like to know who the infamous they are, right? But Jesus here says, who do they say that I am? Who does this, this culture, who do they say that I am? And they answered with what they had been hearing as they were walking along, as they were serving people, as they were around people. They say, uh, John the Baptist, Herod, in fact, earlier on in the book of Mark, Herod kind of makes this claim that he's just another form of John the Baptist. And so they say John the Baptist or Elijah or more generically, one of the prophets. They they, they think you're a good guy. They think, yeah, you're a good guy. They could have probably added in there crazy false prophet because some people thought he was that. For Jesus had to this point been widely rejected by the majority and only accepted by the few, the people of faith. 
And I think about this question in the context of where you and I live today. And I ask us, who do men say Jesus is? Who do they say that Jesus is? Certainly there are those who believe that Jesus was not the Messiah. They outright deny that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And they make it very clear. He was a liar. He was not the person that he claimed to be. And we have seen an overflow of these truth rejectors as our culture has become more and more less of a, uh, a spiritual Christian culture and, and more of a, of a widely accepting culture of everything. And so certainly, who do men say that? There are some people that say that he's false. There are some people that say everything he claimed, he is none of that, certainly. And due to our culture's rejection of Jesus, those of us who hold the, to the Bible as our standard of truth are now being demonized and eventually will more than likely be persecuted as a result of this. It will, it, we are already there uh, in many cases, but holding fast to the truths of this word will eventually get me in trouble it, if things continue down the path that it's going. It will eventually get me in trouble. And I'll say this on live stream today. Make, quoting a verse that said, male and female created he them in the next few years will get me in trouble. Saying that God created people with two genders. You're either male or you're female. That will get me in trouble in the next few years, I promise you, if we stand on those types of things. And so we have to understand that. Who do men say that Jesus is? Well, many men are rejectors of Jesus, but that is not all. Some in our culture are not so aggressive of their rejection of Jesus. What they have actually done in our culture is they've created their own version of Jesus whom they can finagle. One that they can be comfortable with. A Jesus who holds the same opinions that they hold. Have you met those people before? The Jesus who's a genie in a bottle only to be activated in certain times of need. The Jesus who, who doesn't call them to any sort of sacrifice. The Jesus who just agrees with them and who will just help them be the best version of themselves that they want to be. This is the churchy Jesus, unfortunately. This is the Jesus that has now invaded our churches and now has a strong foothold in our churches. This is non-confrontational Jesus. This is non-controversial Jesus. This is comfortable Jesus. This is the Jesus that blends in with the culture. Who do men say that Jesus is? Jesus is a blender. Jesus is a, Jesus is a, a, a love everybody but don't share the truth with everybody. This Jesus was created in the minds and hearts of people in order to make themselves feel comfortable in the church culture of their choice. I'm not going to take the time today to jump into next week's text. But the real Jesus called his followers to true sacrifice, to disciplined living. The real Jesus was basically the opposite of culture. So who do they say Jesus is? Who does our culture say Jesus, let me be very clear this morning, and I want you to understand this. Our culture cares nothing for our Christ. Our culture cares nothing for our Christ. And you say, Josh, certainly, well, caveat there. There are good people within our culture who love Jesus. I'm saying our culture in general 
cares nothing for Christ. It's why that in politics, they'll often bring pastors in to pray at different in state, uh, different, different uh, political arenas within the state, within local government. And it's docu- well documented that they often will say, uh, if you would pray and if you could refrain from using the name Jesus. Um, we had, I won't give the full testimony, but I've recently uh, been dealing with, with a, a, a person coming to faith in Christ. And this person made this statement to me, maybe I'll just start with God because that seems so much less in your face than Jesus. And may I say this morning, listen, we're, we are a gracious church. We are a come as you are church. You matter to God, you matter to us. I don't care what you're wearing today. I don't care how many tattoos you got today. I don't care how many piercings you got today. I don't care if you're dressed up, dressed down, don't know what's going on. I don't care this morning. We, we, we lovingly accept everybody, but at the end of the day, we will stand on the truth of God's word. Like it or lump it. We will stand on the truth of God's word, and our culture, we must understand, cares nothing for our Christ. And, and I will say, I'm not trying to misrepresent our culture. I believe I'm giving an honest explanation of our culture. They don't care for Jesus and they don't care that we know it. And so we saw the, the cultural question that was asked to the disciples. Jesus said, hey, who are they saying? What is the culture saying about Jesus? What are they saying about me? Secondly, I want us to see this, a personal Question. A personal question. Look back in our text, Mark chapter 8. Look back in our text, verse 29. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus asked the first question, Who do they say that I am? is just a kind of a leader, just to get the conversation going. Because at the end of the day, the least important question, in my opinion, is what do other people think about Jesus? And the absolute most important question that I've ever been asked is, but who do you say that I am? Jesus says, I know what you're hearing about the culture. I know what they're, they're telling you. I know that they don't accept me for who I am. I understand their sinfulness or their wickedness. I understand them and them and culture and culture and culture. But what about you, John? What about you? Oh, yeah, John. Sorry. Uh, what about you, Matthew? What about you, Philip? What about you, Andrew? No answer. I, we didn't get anything. Hey, Peter. I know I'll get an answer out of you, right? Peter says, the, the answer that we all should have this morning to the most important question about Jesus. And that important question is not a cultural question this morning. It's a personal question this morning. The most important question about Jesus is not what do they say about Jesus. The most important question about Jesus is what do you say about Jesus. The most important question about Jesus is not a broad question. It's an extremely pointed and direct question. The most important question regarding Jesus is simply this. Who do you say that I am? Every single one of us must reckon with that question. Who do you say Jesus is? Some of us don't like the pointedness of that question. Some of us don't like the fact that that it's abrasive a little bit in nature, and that's okay. But Jesus wasn't concerned about what the disciples' friends and family or anyone else had to say about him. He, He wanted to know specifically, who do you say that I am? 
This morning, Jesus doesn't care what your mom or your dad, he doesn't care what your grandma or your granddad, your husband or your wife, your friends, your Sunday school teacher, your auntie or your uncle, even your cousin. Jesus is not asking, who do they say? The pointed question today is simply this, who do you say that I am? And that question, by the way, must be answered by every single living, breathing human being on this earth. The question of who do you say Jesus is must be answered. You say, well, I'm not going to answer the question. Well, in not answering the question, you have staked your claim. And you have given a very loud answer in your silence. You can call in, sit. You can try to avoid the question temporarily. You can fend off the Holy Spirit and his pull in your heart for some time. But we will all be forced to confront this personal, important, all-important question of who we declare Jesus to be. You say, no one has been this abrasive or come directly at me with that question in a while. Well, allow me to be the guy today. What will you do with Jesus? What will you, who is he to you? Is he, he, he's a good man. He's one of the prophets. He, John the Baptist, I mean, certainly Elijah. He's like one of those guys. Oh, yeah, you know, Jesus, that's, I remember. I went to Sunday school. I'm good, man. Yeah, Jesus and all that. No, a pointed question today, a personal question that all of us must confront in this life. But who do you say that Jesus is? So we solved the cultural question and now the personal question. And now thirdly this morning, let us look at the emphatic confession. The emphatic confession. Look at verse 29 back in the text, Mark chapter 8. Look at verse 29. Peter answered. And he said to him, you are the Christ. Then Jesus strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. As was not uncommon throughout the Gospels, when Jesus needed a verbal response, Peter came through, okay? Peter was the guy. Peter's the one who stepped out of the boat to walk on the water. Peter's the one who said, I'm not going to deny you. Peter's the one here that responds. I see myself in Peter. Some, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not a good thing. But may I say this morning emphatically, there, was, there is only one acceptable answer to the question of who do you say that I am? And that one acceptable answer uh, Peter gives to Jesus, and he simply says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That name Christ identified Jesus as the Messiah and there's another study even, there were many Christs, but this was the Christ, the promised Messiah who had been foretold throughout the Old Testament. Peter made it clear that he believed in the prophesied Messiah. Peter made it clear here that he had rejected the cultural opinions of Jesus. This was not John the Baptist. This was not Elijah. This was not one of the prophets. No, this was the promised and prophesied Messiah. He boldly proclaimed the truth of Jesus in this moment. He emphatically confessed 
his faith in Jesus. Accurate declarations of who Jesus is have been given throughout this gospel in Mark, beginning with the very first verse. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark chapter 1 and verse 11, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, God speaking about Jesus. The demons in, in, in chapters 1, 3, and 5 cried out that Jesus was the Holy One of God, the Son of God, and Jesus the Son of the Most High God. And Peter adds his voice to this crowd and says, I confess you, you are the Christ. Peter rejected the popular and trendy views of Jesus in favor of the clear and concise and consistent witness of Scripture on who Jesus truly was. May I say this today? We must resist the trends of outright rejecting Jesus or of creating this kind of false Jesus today. And we must confess, as Peter did, against the culture. We must confess against the trends. We must confess firmly upon the Word of God through the Holy Spirit of God that Jesus is the Christ. The son of the living God. For some of us, that's head knowledge. And I'll be honest with you, this is a little, I guess as a church kid, I can, I can talk about this. A lot of it's head knowledge. Do you believe Jesus? Yeah, I mean, intellectually, I believe. Intellectually, I know. Like, I know the facts. I understand. I, I, I know the Bible well enough that I get it in my head. But Jesus asked this question, and we're going to see in the life of Peter, that Peter let it go, that, what is that, that 18 inches from his head to his heart, that 18-inch journey that Jesus must take in everyone's life. And that is from a head knowledge and acceptance academically of who Jesus is, to a heart transformation. As we've said in, a, in, a, in the past in one of our sermon series, it goes from your head to your heart. And then as we see in Peter, it, it comes out in humble obedience. It, it, it was a head knowledge thing, and then it became a heart transformation thing, and then it was lived out humbly, and sometimes not so humbly, in the life of Peter. May I say this morning that there's only one acceptable answer when confronted with the question of who do you say that Jesus is that answer this morning is that you are the Christ that Jesus is the Christ he is the only begotten son of God sent to this earth to live a sinless life the life that you and I want so desperately to live but can't live that's who Jesus is. He came and he lived the life that you wish you could live. And then the wages of sin is death. You and I deserve to die because of our sin, physically and spiritually. But Jesus died the death that you deserve and died the death that I deserve. He died on Calvary's cross. And when he died on that cross, he died for the sins of the whole world. In fact, we find out in 2 Corinthians that he not only died for the sins of the whole world, but he became our sin on the cross. Perfection became sin and this morning I'm not asking you 
What do other people believe? I'm not asking you what your parents believed. I'm not asking you, did you grow up in church? I'm not asking you, do you know intellectually about it? I'm asking you in your life and in your heart, in the deep, dark corners of who you are, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? The answer to that question will change your life one way or the other. You are uh, a good man, John the Baptist, Elijah, prophets, or you're the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. You see what happens is when we, when we repent and we believe, repent and believe, repent and believe, Mark chapter 1, repent and believe the gospel. When we repent and we believe, we have taken on the righteousness of God. He has given us his righteousness. And the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. The book of Ephesians talks about that often. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells us and, 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 and comes into our hearts and into our lives. And God changes us from the inside out. And not only that, but when we confess Christ as Lord and we confess that Jesus is, is our Savior, he gives us an eternity. You see that eternity, that death, that eternity was a spiritual separation between your creator and you. And he gives you eternal life. And that is eternal eternity uh, with Christ in heaven, life with him forever. I ask you today, I understand that the majority of us in here today have been around church. I was in church 19 years before I confessed Christ as Lord. I was a pastor's kid for 19 years before I confessed Christ as Lord, before I confessed him as my Savior. And the answer to this question for Peter is going to begin next Sunday's sermon, which I'm not preaching right now, but it's next Sunday's sermon about, hey, if, that, if you mean what you said, let's put some feet to your faith. If you mean what you said, let's take up your cross. If you mean what you said, let's die daily. We're not getting there today, but I'm just saying this is, a, this is a, an important declaration because this is not just a pray a prayer declaration. This is not just a checkbox declaration. This is not just an emotional decision. This is not, no, today the decision or this declaration of Jesus is an important heart confession. And I call upon you today to make that confession clearly. To make that confession clearly, you see, you must all answer that question. We give you opportunity after opportunity here at this church to answer that question, to answer that question, to answer that question. You can put that off, you can put that off, but one day, even if it's in eternity, you will answer that question. Every man will give an account. Imagine, I guess my prayer today and my, my plea today is Jesus wants to be your Savior. He, wants, he loves you. He died for you. He wants to change your life. He wants to be your personal Savior. He wants a real relationship with you. But you must believe. You must believe. And that belief must take the journey from just acknowledging to your heart being transformed. And I'll be honest with you. I can't explain that to you. I can't take you down that journey per se. 
I just know this, the Holy Spirit took me down that journey. I know this, that, that I oftentimes would hear a, a preacher do the same thing I'm doing this morning as a teenager, and I would sit there with my, my, my hands sweaty. I'm not going to do a song reference at this point. But um, my hands were sweat, and I would grip the back of the pew and just get me through this. And the Holy Spirit would be pulling and tugging, pulling and tugging. And you need to do something, and you need to do something, and you need to. And, you, and I, would, I would resist, and I would resist, and I would resist. And finally the dude would shut up, which y'all are hoping I'll do quickly. Finally he would shut up. And I'd be like, okay, I'm good. And you know what? I can move on. As a teenager, I'd move on. I'd be okay for a little while. Then every now and then I'd wake up at night, and I'd be like, man, I wonder what's going to happen. I hope I don't, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm scared. As a 16-year-old kid, I should be sleeping like a rock for, you know, 10 to 12 hours a night. And here I am waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning, worried about my eternity. Just unhealthy. And I can't explain it to you, but I would go back to a service and I'd have another pull. Uh, the Holy Spirit would draw me and pull me again. And I would, man, I, I would sweat it out and I, I'd grip it out and I could... Man, I, I figure out a way, man, oh, you know, I, I got to use the bathroom, right? He starts talking at the end. It's like, oh, I got to use the bathroom. As soon as we stand for the invitation, like, I'm out of here. It's that, it's, that, it's that eternal bathroom call that happens when, the, when Holy Spirit conviction comes. I'm like, I'm out. Got to use the bathroom. And I'd get through it again. And that was my life. And somehow on that journey in my life, it started moving from my head and the pull on my heart became so big. And I remember when I was 19 years old that I was in a Christian college. I remember the sermon. That day was not necessarily a sermon about salvation. I mean, you're in a Christian college. They, they kind of take for granted that majority of you are probably a believer if you're there. You'd be crazy if you weren't a believer to be there. I think I was crazy as a believer to be there. But anyway... <clears throat> But I remember, same, same deal. They would close out, they'd pray, they'd give a little talk. And I remember the pull that morning was so fierce. And I, it was almost as if the Holy Spirit was saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, it's time. Like, you need to put up or shut up. It's time you either need to declare Jesus as Lord or I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. That's the way I felt. And I remember that day, a buddy of mine, Luke Chittam, he's still a friend of mine today. Tim knows him. <clears throat> Happened to be standing beside me and I looked at Luke and I'm like, bro, I got to go down there, man. He was like, what? Like, he didn't, you know, what? I'm like, I need, let me out. Like, I need to go down there. And I remember Luke walking down there with me. And I remember that weight. I knew everything. I was a pastor's kid. I remember them saying, you know Jesus died for you. Man, I know that. Do you know that your, that your sin would send you to hell if you died? And you're I know. Yeah, I know all of that. And I remember just bowing my knee there and declaring Jesus as Lord. Declaring him the King of Kings. Declaring him my Lord and Savior. And that journey had, got, had gone from here, and that journey was there. Now, it wasn't perfect. Life was crazy after that, for sure. But, man, the journey happened from here to here for me. 
It took it a while to get out into humble obedience. Took it a minute. I'm not going to lie. I won't give you all those stories. But it took it a while. But I knew. And I guess I give you my testimony in closing today. For some of you, I think maybe it's here. Acknowledging, I know, I know the facts. But has he transformed your heart? Has he made you new? I didn't say has he made you perfect. Ain't none of us perfect. I didn't say has he made you sinless. Ain't none of us sinless. I'm asking you if he's changed your heart. If he's given you a new you. And if he hasn't this morning, I want to as lovingly and kindly as I possibly can invite you to give in to the pull. Last Sunday, we had someone who, at the end of the service, trusted Christ. And this person didn't even know how to explain it. They just said, it was as if I was being pulled. And I said, that's it. That's it. So I ask you today, if you've had a head knowledge of Jesus, but he's pulling on your heart, would you believe on him? Who do you say that Jesus is? May today be the day that you can honestly say from your heart, Jesus is the Christ. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.